the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live. Hey, just hit midnight here on the East Coast. We've got a lot of action going on, including as we record with you at youtube.com slash cover three for those of you who are joining us to record live. If you're getting to this on Sunday, maybe you'll hear us talk about the end of LSU Auburn as the Tigers currently cling to a 19 to 17 lead. We've also got a tie game in Washington, Oregon State, UCLA with a narrow lead over Arizona State, though hopefully we're out of here before then. Uh, gentlemen, it has been a wild day in college football. Five of the top 12 teams lost. Three of the seven winless teams won. Also worth notable here. We're trying to rule some teams out of the playoffs. We're trying to rule some conferences out of the playoffs. We're trying to anoint others as playoff bound in a potentially historic situation. Uh, but if it's okay with y'all, and listen, we can get grimy, all right? We can, and we have apologies, and we have credit, and we have some follow-up on lots of different predictions. But like, can we start with a run-of-the-mill, just basic question that I think allows us to talk about two very important teams in the most dumbed-down, lower-common-denominator way? Are y'all cool with that? I'm cool with oh, anything yeah. you want to do. Okay, Alabama or Georgia, who you got? Bama. Bama? Yeah, because I, I think Georgia's ceiling is actually theoretically higher because I think they might have a, a really historic all-time defense. Yeah. But they didn't have to throw it all today, like at all. No. And they played the game. You have to play when you, pay, when you play Arkansas, which is just be patient because Arkansas doesn't want to allow explosive plays, and they were able to be patient. They had tremendous field position pretty much all day because Arkansas's offense couldn't do anything. Um, it Look, it may not be 2020 as far as you, you need to score 50, but you do need to score, and credit to Georgia, they did score today. Uh, if they line up and play tomorrow, I would take Alabama. I yeah. do think Georgia's ceiling is higher, though. If they get their guys back and if they click, I think there's a higher ceiling there. Georgia's going to be number one on my ballot this week. But I think I'd pick Alabama to beat it. Is that coaching? Because that's No, I, I think, think they just I think uh, they have the better QB. Oh, I think okay. it's so often that's what it comes down to these days. Okay. Um, Georgia on performance, Alabama on potential is yeah. where I've, based on what we've seen, only looking at 2021, I think that Georgia, based on the opponents it's faced and the way it is executed with the tasks at hand, is more impressive than Alabama, which, like, uh, I know that Alabama doesn't need to be 100% Alabama all of the time. Nick Saban demands that Alabama be 100% of Alabama all the time, which is why Nick Saban's never happy with Alabama. But kind of feel like Georgia, you know, there have been some some bumps along the way, but not many. It feels like there's been a far smoother path to being undefeated and being in the conversation as one of the best teams in the country on a day, you know, and in a season where we are talking about those top two teams. And the reason I wanted to start basic is because they both had two of the biggest games in the entire country, two top 12 on top 12 matchups, uh, Alabama taking care of Ole Miss, Georgia taking care of Arkansas, you know, 37, nothing for Georgia, a 42, 21 win for Alabama. Like, yeah, Alabama won by less, but Georgia was more impressive. I think that your only argument for Alabama being better is that you believe 
that they have this either coaching quarterback or sort of just intangible potential advantage or Tom, like you mentioned, if they had to play tomorrow, I would pick Alabama. In which case your bias is probably just years and years of Alabama, Georgia (laughs) and seeing what's happened before. Right. I mean, yeah, but I, I just think that when it comes down to it in that kind of a game, somebody's going to have to make a play on offense to win. And I just trust Alabama's offense more than I do Georgia's right now because, as we were saying, it's like I know Georgia's defense can stop anybody, and I know that they can run the ball on anybody. I'm not convinced they could throw the ball on anybody. I do think Alabama could win two ways between Brian Robinson at running back, Bryce Young, and those receivers. I think they could do it in the air. And defensively, like, I mean, they're not Georgia. But let's not overlook what they did today against Ole Miss compared to what Ole Miss did against them last year. Now, obviously, some of that's also being from Oxford and then moving the game to Tuscaloosa. But this is an Alabama defense that has improved from what we saw last season. So I think that they're kind of, in a way, I think offensively they're not as good as they were last year, but defensively they've picked up that slack. Do you think that Herb Street was guessing or do you think he talked to somebody in Tuscaloosa? Because I usually don't watch game day because I'm busy with with, with – Kid, I'm watching but, soccer. Who's Herbst? Um, I uh, need some context here for the audience that doesn't uh, watch college game day. He, what yeah, he, he, he had I, something I very. You tell me, I do not know. Well, he had something very specific, and normally, like I think Kirk kind of, you know, he kind of like platitudes, and you know, he was like, "I expect Bama to drop eight the whole game and just simplify everything like crazy and keep everything in front of them." And last year they were way too complex, so I wonder if somebody over there didn't tell him like, "Hey." We're not we're not going to try to confuse old Mr. Anything. We're just going to try to see if they can execute consistently. Um, and I, I do think they miss an Elijah Moore type in With this. Jonathan game. Mingo out of the game. I mean, right. that's a starting wide receiver. You're all of a sudden like right there eliminating a huge impact player from the passing game. And it's not like Ole Miss's offense is that physical. It's extremely dynamic, but like if Bama doesn't have to really fear anybody one on one on the outside. The main thing you need to avoid doing is having coverage bust and run fit bust. And if you're playing drop eight, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of those busts. And and they really it, was that a crock potting? <laughs> like like no. technically? Okay. Kind of. But I, I think part of that too, like last year, they probably felt like they had to be a bit more complex because they didn't have the pass rush. Whereas I think this year maybe they felt more comfortable just dropping everybody and saying, Well, Will Anderson will beat somebody enough and put pressure on Matt Crowell, and we'll be able to get pressure on him that way. So I think that might have played a role in it, too. I love being friends with uh, with Bud and with everybody at 24-7 Sports and having them as a partner because you get names that pop into your brain and sort of rattle around for a little bit. With Alabama, it happens a lot. And then sometimes you don't always see those names flash, right? You've known them in your head. You've been waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. And I think it was the fourth down stop when Tim Smith just shed a blocker and popped uh, Ely like right in his tracks, a yard short of being able to get that first down on one of those three failed fourth down attempts from the first half. Tim Smith's another one of those names, right? When we've been talking about like Tim Smith, LeBron, I mean, but I I don't want to. I've got a good Tim Smith story. Yeah. So uh, I I first saw Tim Smith at the Nike, uh, well, the opening camp. We used to call them Nike camps back in the day. I'm, I'm old. Uh, but I saw him, he was coming off his junior year. I really didn't know who he was. And I was like, this guy is huge. And I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, I used to be a baseball player. I was like, you did like how many hundreds of pounds ago, Tim Smith? Cause you're like <laughs> 340. Uh, anyway, I'm like, like, can you imagine? He was like, yeah, I was a left fielder. So, okay. Um, I'm, I really wonder when, like, like if anybody has the Tim Smith baseball footage out there, I really am curious about, about seeing this Bama's nose guard. Um, but with, with Will Anderson, that was such a fun guy to watch on tape, but he didn't really go to a bunch of like all-star stuff early in the cycle. And we didn't look, we didn't, I didn't know how good he was relative to other elite kids. And then he finally showed up obviously for, for one of the major events and smoked everybody. And I was like, okay, yep. That, that get off that we see on tape is absolutely real. And that's kind of one of my challenges to Bama, right? How much better can Tim Smith and those guys get against the run? before they get to the dome. Sort of same way, like, who of George's receivers will become healthy? Will J.J. Daniels become healthy? Will they develop more of a passing game when they need it? Both these teams are freaky good and have the ability to get a whole lot better if they can improve in certain areas. I'm excited. 
God, yeah, I also, I'm going to have to rewatch because there were multiple games going on at the time and Alabama took that lead. So I kind of diverted attention from that game away in the second half. But from what I saw, I also feel like today was Henry Toto's best day with Alabama by far so, to this point. Well, he was flat bad against Florida, I thought. Mm-hmm. So that was that, that that's encouraging to see there, obviously. Um, let's, uh, let's follow that thread then. Gators. Sir, we okay? We doing all right? Because that team went into the big checkout line <laughs> and they tried to get in the 15 items or less, like 17 items. And they said, I'm sorry, sir, you got to go back. And guess what? All the regular lines were backed up. So now you're sitting here in the middle of the toiletries waiting, 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 and that offense just doesn't show up. I, I thought that Florida was let down offensively in a very, very big way. And like Kentucky wants to, and this is something that is not what we had ascribed to the 2021 Kentucky. This is like an old sort of catchphrase blueprint from the way that we've talked about this team in years prior to 2021, which is if you let them lure you into their kind of game, especially in Lexington, you might find yourself in trouble and I'm curious to hear y'all's read on this, um, but I I saw this as a situation where Florida got lured into playing Kentucky's kind of game. Again, a game that we had not thought was going to be this new revitalized Kentucky offense, but looked very uh, retrofitted to early Mark Stoops era kind of Kentucky. I can't wait to see the postgame win expectancy on this one. Um. It's yeah, it's going to be heavily Florida. So let, let's yes. take a look at the game at the plays that swung the game, right? Blocked field goal return for touchdown, mm-hmm. huge swing. Um, false start on second and goal at the nine was a, a fairly big deal. You had Emory Jones getting picked off uh, at their own 30 and returned, um, by, I guess back to their own 30, excuse me. Then you had Florida picked off uh, Will Levis at the Kentucky, what, like 40-ish, I guess. And then you get the, I think it was roughing the passer on Florida's defensive tackle uh, post-pick that they they called that back. It was just like Florida could not get out of its own way. I think they had five or six false starts. I mean, I know they had three or four of them just just in the, in the time that I was watching uh, in the fourth quarter, as it, as it was going crazy, um, look, Florida moved the ball fairly well. They were just not sharp. Maybe this yeah. is finally their hangover game. I, I don't know, uh, but like the problem here is they already have two SEC losses. So the, the unless Georgia screws up, the cocktail party is kind of meaningless. Yep. Oh, I mean, unless Tennessee just keeps going on the run like it did today. But the well, post true. the post game win expectancy, I just looked it up. Eighty percent Florida. Like Kentucky had uh, two hundred eleven yards of offense, averaged four point seven yards per play. Will Levis six of fifteen for seventy four yards and a touchdown, and he was the winning quarterback. No, yeah, there was more. It was hundred and fifteen penalty yards for Florida, eighty seven passing yards for Will Levis. That was my note in my notebook. <laughs> That Florida had more penalty yards than Kentucky had passing yards from its starting quarterback, the one who is revolutionizing this new Kentucky offense. And and Dan Mullen was predictably salty in the postgame. So how do you do? Did he wear like a Darth Vader costume? No, but he was no. stubborn. He was like very, you know. He was asked if he was out coached, which is always like an incredibly loaded question to ask a coach in a press conference a after a loss. Like, dude, whoa. But his response is basically like, no, we had 171 more yards than they did. I don't think I was out coached. <laughs> okay. And you're right that they did move the ball well, but uh, I think not sharp's probably a good read on it because the, and I, I, I will admit, like I wasn't live blogging this one. I wasn't, you know, play by play, you know, into this one. So I still have my own review to go, but uh, you're still falling short of Florida's offense at its best in this game. No doubt. I mean, look, they, yeah, they had more yards, but Kentucky also had several possessions that were either return touchdowns or mm-hmm. like very, very short on, on a per play basis, Kentucky outgained you. Right. It was six, one for Kentucky to five, seven for the Gators. So they got you by like what? 7% there. I mean, that that's, you know, 
something. I mean, you can't you can't point yeah. to your total yardage advantage and say that you outcoached the opponent when on a per play basis you're getting beat. And oh, by the way, you should have beat them. You're eight, seven and a half, eight point favorite. So, um, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I didn't really have anything to add. All right, I didn't mean to just dip into the Florida side. I, I promise this is not as uh, Thomas psychoanalyzed me as an anti-Florida guy who can't help but bring it up in all <laughs> facets of my life. Um, I don't even I, think you realize it. I think it is subconscious. I it think is. You hate Florida and you don't know it. And there is great uh, beauty and creativity and demons and disaster in the subconscious. And we'll just sort of let it all uh, let it all flow out. I wanted to take us to Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Can because, I uh, go ahead? Can I give some credit to Kentucky's defense, though? Yeah. Like I, 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 I've said this year so far that like I wasn't really a believer in them. They seem to have some open guys that just like the quarterbacks were missing. I thought they played much better. I got, I got to watch a good bit of this one. And like I thought they played much better tonight. They really do deserve some credit here. Will Levis is kind of unfortunately who he thought he was. <laughs> just hey, when they finally called, I'm going to chuck it. Uh, but they didn't let him pass the ball a whole lot, uh, which is probably smart. Uh, but no, Kentucky's defense deserves a whole lot of credit here. I, I thought because Florida's offense, I do think is pretty damn good, and um, they were much better than I thought they'd be. Cincinnati's win against Notre Dame could be one of the more impactful uh, games of the season of the college football playoff race, and certainly those around the Cincinnati program are already calling it one of the biggest wins in program history. I will stop short on that because it's more of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. But if you go lose three American Athletic Conference games, then who you know that win was great. It was top ten. It was beating Notre Dame, team you haven't played in 121 years. But sure, I think though the way that Cincinnati's defense uh, played in this game against an admittedly flawed Notre Dame offensive front and a quarterback room that has been in rotation over the last couple weeks, but I think that you've got to give some Iowa level. Um, advantages to this Cincinnati defense and the way that they just seem to come up with plays, you know, the interceptions, the special teams, fumble recoveries, the stops that they seem to deliver uh, when it counts the most against Indiana and against Notre Dame two road situations over the last three weeks. It is something that I think validates anyone who believed that Cincinnati was going to be one of the strongest teams in the American athletic conference and now that they have these two wins that you know, many of us were believing they would not get both of them, they have the non-conference resume that no group of five team has ever had before. They are going to be likely in the polls uh, five or six come Sunday. They were at number seven going into it, which means that you're at a starting position that is higher than any group of five team has had before. Now, we still have several weeks before the College Football Playoff Selection Committee starts to reveal its own rankings, and those are the ones that matter when it comes to this playoff race. But as you looked at Cincinnati coming out of that result, did you change at all your opinion of where that group is at at this point in the season? No. I mean, Cincinnati was the better football team before the game, I think, and they're the better team now. I didn't, I didn't think they should be favored at South Bend, but they showed why they were and they outplayed Notre Dame pretty much in every single facet of that game, defensively, offensively, special team. Well, not so much special teams, but just they were the better team from, I feel like from start to finish, like Notre Dame on its very first possession drives all the way down the field and you're sitting there thinking, "Uh Oh, you know, maybe the Cincinnati defense isn't as good as we thought it was. And then bang, they forced the turnover in the red zone. They pick off Jack Cohn in the end zone. And from that point on, it was all Cincinnati, but like my thing with Cincinnati and the playoff has never been about Cincinnati. It's just about the college football playoff and what they're going to do. So like you're saying that Cincinnati's got a resume that nobody's ever, like a group of five teams ever had before. Well, that Indiana win is going to be meaningless by the end of the year. Like it's, this is an Indiana team that's going to be six and six. So I don't think Cincinnati's going to get much credit for that. This Notre Dame win could hold up pretty well, depending on how the Irish go from this point forward. But I just think that, like, it's in a strange way. Cincinnati wins Notre Dame, gets a huge win, but on the very same day, UCF loses to Navy and pretty much destroys any credit that they're going to get for beating UCF from the committee. That's just another thing the committee's going to be able to look at and say, eh, well, they've only got one impressive win. Uh, yeah, Tom, I, I think you're right. I mean, Indiana getting shut out tonight against Penn State, 
Um, I, I, I don't think Cincinnati's going to the playoff uh, ultimately, unless some some further chaos really happens. And I, I, I really haven't thought about that scenario quite yet, but it, it would have to be pretty specific. Um, and the thing is, like UCF could lose a couple more times this year. In, is Indiana going to make a bowl? It's going to be fighting for one. I don't know that it's guaranteed of one now because after what tonight's loss, that drops it to two and three. Uh, yes, yeah. correct. And next week, Michigan State. 10. Yeah, this I'm is... probably going to take Michigan State over them. Now they'll be a short favorite, right? In in, in uh, Bloomington. Here, here's the rest of Indiana's schedule. They've got Michigan State next week, Lost. then Ohio State. So Lost. now they're probably Lost. two and five at Maryland. Uh, I think win. Maryland matches up much better th- th- with them than they did Iowa. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of interceptions in that game. I think we can all agree on that one. And then the week after that, they're at Michigan. So now we're looking at a team that's probably three and six at best going into the final three weeks that needs to win out versus Rutgers, Minnesota, and at Purdue. Which it could. Which it could. It could, for sure. I I think that uh, Indiana being... In, in the eyes of the college football playoff selection committee, Indiana being a power five team that was ranked in the preseason top 25 is something. I also think that you don't No, not if it's at the end of the year and Indiana's five and seven, it doesn't. I don't think that the playoff committee gets that deep. Yes, they do. We don't we, we give them some credit. All they need is a little bit of an excuse to, to keep Cincinnati out. Yeah. And one of the power five teams not making a bowl is Perfect excuse. Hey, look, you know, it, it's admirable they tried, but unfortunately, like, it does matter what happened on the field, and it does matter how good the team actually is this year. And uh, we had this, by the way, if you go, if you recall, I don't remember what year this was, but there was a year uh, where they the committee actually started to discuss scheduling intent, and they didn't fully get down the road. It was almost like some dicta uh, in, in a Supreme Court case type thing. But I remember, like, man, I wonder if they'll ever bring that up, like, they, they intended to schedule tough, like they scheduled teams that are normally good, and then they weren't good. Like but, in the non-conference, yeah, they had correct. intended to go out there and really challenge themselves. It's not their fault that uh, Baylor got hit right. with NCAA sanctions or whatever, and they faced Jim Grobe. Like that, like yeah. that sort of adjustment on the fly. I, the thing that matters to me, and I said this on CBS Sports HQ. I did not think it was funny. I just thought it was factual. But Hakeem Dermish, the host, absolutely loved it. But I root for me, and I just think that it is interesting to have Cincinnati with these two wins. And it is interesting because Cincinnati is going to be favored the rest of the way, and they're not going to be dominant because they're a college football team. And college football teams, when they're playing under these kinds of circumstances – Sometimes may crack like this. You're right. This we might not even have this conversation about a 13 and 0 Cincinnati team and where they fall against this one loss, these one loss conference champions, these one loss one loss conference championship losers. Which, by the way, I believe that if you were to really play this thing out, it's like uh, two SEC, Oklahoma, and Big Ten winner. Is sort of the the way that you just fill out your playoff in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Yeah. In yeah. which case, like Bud, you talk about the the scenarios that would lead to like the, the LSU two loss or just like what would need to happen elsewhere for everything to fall into place. But I just think that on a week to week basis, college football is interesting and fun to talk about with this Cincinnati team, with this coach, and with this defense, and with this quarterback who like Again, the variance in this guy's performance, even within a game, is all over the place. But that's what kind of what makes it fun. I think that it is great to have Cincinnati with these two wins because while you all can sit here and be like, no way, no way, no way, and I think you're probably right, we at least can have a conversation with the entire college football public and sell the sport to people who aren't invested as like, I, I don't know because we've never had anyone start this high in the rankings and have these kind of non-conference wins because – the last team that had these kind of non-conference wins corked it in conference play. Mm-hmm. Which may be a preview of what's happening to Cincinnati. But it, you know what? We at least get to roll down this path and see how it goes. That's that's the funny thing about these conversations because, I mean, what it's depending on where you are, it's October 3rd, it's October 2nd. Every single weekend of the season, we see teams losing games we don't think they're going to lose. 
Like it's like, oh, this team, they're, they're, they just have to not lose and they're going to the playoff. And it's like, unless you're Georgia and Alabama, every team shows every single week, it's got a loss in them. Oregon just lost to Stanford. Everybody's capable of it. I was about I was to say, gonna, I was going to go there. Speaking <laughs> of, let's take the attention to the formerly number three team in the country. I guess they will be until about noon and 2 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. But the Oregon Ducks, who have one of the best wins in all of college football, going into Columbus and beating Ohio State, uh, now have a loss in conference play to a division rival who, yes, also already has one conference loss, but still, given the way that Tanner McKee and the Stanford team is playing and the rest of the Pac-12 North, things are dicey for Oregon. I mean, they, they no longer hold the inside track on even making it to the Pac-12 championship game, which you would think is probably a big piece of making the playoffs. So what do we make of Oregon's loss at Stanford? Uh, what do you think about the performance? Well, I think it's important to point out that before the game, they were without their starting safety, Bennett Williams, who Chip, you and I, we had as you know, we had on the award show earlier this week, along with you know the Oregon safety tandem. They were without their starting center, and perhaps more importantly, if you saw the way this game started, they did not have offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, which had a pretty big impact on this game because if you look at Oregon's offense in the first half, they only scored seven points. They had 190 yards. They they really weren't doing much of anything with the ball. They were, I mean, they were moving it, but they weren't finishing drives and they appeared to be kind of disjointed. And that's part of the reason why at halftime they were down 10 points, although they were also stuffed on fourth and goal from the one just before halftime, which that didn't loom large at all in a seven point <laughs> loss. But I just think that this is one of the, I don't, I don't think Oregon has played all that great since the Ohio state win to begin with. And I think that it was kind of, out of sync in the first half. It got things together in the second half a little bit, but Stanford was, you know, they had the, they had to overcome the 10 point lead on the way to doing it. And then just, you know, some Mario Cristobal stuff at the end of the game, man. Like we have in the we gave it, we like we let off a little bit from really crushing Mario Cristobal game management uh, situations. Just, they had a first down in Stanford territory with the ball, only a couple minutes left. Stanford had all three timeouts. They ran, didn't go anywhere. And then, uh, then they threw on second down, and it was incomplete. So it stops the clock, gives Stanford a free timeout. And then, of course, now it's third and long. They can't convert. They have to punt. Then there's a questionable targeting on Kayvon Thibodeau, which make a note of that because Friday night they play Cal, and Kayvon Thibodeau will not be playing in the first half of that game. But he gets kicked out. Then there's a couple pass interference calls. It was just, it was a Pac-12 game, and it's. I'm not. I don't want to put it on the officials and say they cost the game for Oregon, even though I know plenty of Oregon Oregon fans feel that way. I think Stanford won the game, you know, deservedly so. But it's just Oregon looked like a pretty average-ish top 15 team. It did not look like a playoff team today, and it cost them. But it's it's not really unexpected, right? Like we, I think Chip. We all said we think Oregon will still lose multiple times this year, even after beating Ohio State. I thought it would I, lose once. I didn't think it would okay. lose multiple times. My thing is, like, I just – I'm not sure that – how much of that Ohio State game was Oregon? And I think Oregon deserves credit for figuring out what Ohio State's weakness was and continually hitting it. But Ohio State, like, failing to adjust that weakness after the Minnesota game and then also throughout the game – it's almost – I don't want to take away credit and be the guy that just blames a school, right? But there were things that Oregon doesn't do very well. They really don't have much of a drop-back game. And Stanford was able, was able to to kind of take away some of their RPO stuff. Verdell got hurt, I believe, as well yes. in this game. So that's also something to, to look for you know, going forward. Because I, I do think he's a pretty good back, although his, you know, his stats in the game were terrible. I mean, 63 on 17 carries is, is nothing to write home about. But – I mean, 186 yards on 26 passes for for Anthony Brown. Like, that's just not going to get it done. But having Moorhead there would help. Not super worried about them going to Cal because, again, Cal just doesn't have an offense. Like, what if what if Justin Wilcox had a competent offensive coordinator? Like, do you think he'd be getting mentioned for some Joe big Moorhead. jobs? What if, what, <laughs> if, what if Justin Wilcox had Joe Moorhead? And what if uh, – um, it's what, Bill Musgrave? 
I think is the OC for Cal. Like, what if Cristobal had Bill Musgrave? Cristobal would be getting fired. Mm-hmm. And and they'd be like, right, Wilcox will take over anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, also, my other takeaway here is that I think Tanner McKee is a pretty decent quarterback. Like, we knew he had some skill. He went on his LDS mission, then he came back. But as a recruit, he was kind of a big time guy. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know where he finished up ranked. Probably top fifty in the country. Um, like he he had some he had some juices to recruit. It seems like Stanford's getting some, something out of him now. They're much better with him than they were with uh, with West. Yeah, he made he made some throws today that were kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like the, there was some yeah. zip on some like deep outs that you were like, oh, okay. That's that's something that you know you don't see most of these guys able to make. But I I, I will say the one thing that's going to come out of this game that annoyed me and it came out of this game immediately and I was just like Jesus. Oregon's not eliminated from the playoff. Right. If like the same people who were saying Oregon's eliminated from the playoff because it lost today are still think Ohio State has a chance. And the argument will be, well, because Ohio State lost to Oregon. Oregon <laughs> lost to Stanford. <laughs> and it's like, but if if Oregon wins out, if it is a one loss team, it beats UCLA, it beats Washington, it beats Utah, it beats Oregon State, it wins the Pac-12 championship against whether it's Arizona State or UCLA again. It's going to the playoff. So, so my argument is, if you want to say, based on today, that you predict that Oregon will not make the playoff because of the way that it has played with its food for the first mm-hmm. half in the last two games, then, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to follow that line of thinking and say that you don't see the same team that beat Ohio State. Therefore, you think this team is going to take more losses. It will not make the playoff. That's fine. But I will not hear the argument that this result specifically is what's going to doom them from being in the college football playoff with so much football left to play. And you know, I, I just rolled off the like uh, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Big Ten champ, and there is no guarantee that that Oklahoma or Big Ten champ is a sustainable – I mean, or I mean, who, Alabama or Georgia, who knows? But more confidence in those two than, uh, than those other two spots. Yes, very much so. Um. Do we want to have a, a mid-show check-in? What's going on? Because I'm trying to maintain some streaming integrity here, I'm going to lean on y'all for Auburn LSU. If it goes absolutely ham, please let uh, me know. It, it definitely just went ham. Um, Auburn. So LSU has absolutely screwed around it, inside of Auburn's 30 like all night and just couldn't punch it in. And they just messed around and kind of just played just the tip. And like now... There's a real problem here because for LSU because Auburn has made some insane Bo Nix throws all night, like falling away, falling out of bounds. He makes some crazy throws, and Auburn just hit a little. It's not a trick play, but they they kind of ran a Tom. What would you call that? Like it wasn't a traditional run. Um, they they kind of handed it to a wing, and he just ripped off like a 50 yard run. And now Auburn is definitely in field goal range. And um, Bo Nix just tried some crazy Bo Nix crap. Yes, it, we had. I was watching it. I have it on mute, obviously. And I'm like, is this a pick six? Really? That's, yeah, that's what I thought. Because I thought it deflected off the LSU defender's foot and stayed in the air. But three play shows it hit the ground. But Bo Nix just tried one of these passes again that always work extremely well. Like, don't go through the entire throwing motion. Just whatever gets the ball away from your body as fast as possible. Yeah, but they're in the red zone. They are up to or down to with four and a half minutes left. I loved your push motion, but I wanted to at least give some words to it for the audio listeners that are tackling this on Thursday. I feel like this is by far the most interesting game we've had during a live show so far this season. False. Oh, this season, yes. yes. Washington State UCLA. Oh no, nobody's ever going to top game. that Wazoo yeah. UCLA game. Yeah, that was that was out of control. All, All right. right, first down, Auburn, down to the ten. Four minutes left. Okay, so. Almost regardless of what happens here, LSU will be getting the ball back. So this, this will be pretty interesting. Um, two things. Number one, can everybody hit like on this live video? We got hundreds of people watching, and we have like thousands. fewer, mm. we have like 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 fewer people. Pe- yeah, thousands exactly. We have few people liking this than Anthony Brown has completions, which is terrible. Like <laughs> guys, come on, do not like we we don't want to be the Anthony Brown of likes. Okay, get those <laughs> likes up. Be a Tanner McKee. Don't be an Anthony Brown of likes. Um. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so can we talk Tennessee now that we, now that we ban this guy from the chat for like, like I, I want to talk, I want to talk Tennessee while he's in timeout. Yes. All right. Take it. 
<laughs> they look great. Yes. They, they really did. They bounced back from an absolute butt kicking at Florida. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do, uh, like betting this game. I was following on Vols 247 to figure out the injury report. Tennessee, had, a lot of the guys got hurt against Florida seemed to kind of be back in there. I was like, okay, they, they might have a pretty good shot today. And they just absolutely, like I know Missouri's banged up, but are they 62-24 banged up? Good job, Josh Heupel. Like they, they really put it on those dudes. Hopefully they're going to play hooker and not mess around with Milton anymore. Like I, you guys know my thoughts on Milton. It's all theoretical upside, but like never realized ever. Um, I mean, 14 of 18 for 212. What do they run the ball for? Like 350, 400? 452 yards. Four, oh, four, okay, 450. Well, that's that's amazing. Sack adjusted their, 454. Um, I, I did not get to watch much of this game. I was uh, live, live blogging Cincinnati, Notre Dame, doing some CBS Sports HQ stuff. Um, my notepad includes a link to the tweet that Tennessee sent congratulating their punter on not having to punt. <laughs> have a day at the name of the punter because he didn't have to get out there and swing that leg just once. I haven't, I haven't looked it up, but I'd be interested to see when's the last time an sec team put 60 points on another sec team on the road. And it wasn't like Alabama or somebody last week, Georgia Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. Well, I think, right. Was it? Yeah. That does kind of, that is that, kind of that's like kind of what I'm saying though. Like that when it's not like the team that is might be the you know it's you don't see that happen very often. So for Tennessee to go on the road, put up 62 points on Mizzou, 677 yards, rush for 450 yards, like, and then Florida loses a few hours later. You're looking at the SEC East right now, and obviously, I think we all know who the best team in the division is. And Kentucky's three and zero. Florida's already got two conference losses, and you know, obviously Tennessee's got one loss to Florida, but you're looking at it and all of a sudden you're like, man, like this is a team that could finish in third in the division. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the three three spots wide open because mm-hmm. we are pushing Missouri down in the pecking order. We are pushing ooh, Kentucky. They've are mm. I feel like the SEC East between Georgia and Vanderbilt is just gonna be nuts every single week. Are you pushing Florida down? based on today's result against Kentucky? I just don't know that I think I'm not pushing them down. I still think they they have I don't see that's the thing. They got two losses. I don't know if they're favored to finish in second anymore. I just I think that they're probably quote unquote better than those other teams. It's just the way that this division looks from a week to week basis and the way Florida's looked from a week to week basis. I just think that it's going to be really odd every single week. Like everybody it feels like is capable of losing to somebody else within that group of five. Speaking of, oh, actually, coming up on the other side, Jimbo Fisher probably won't be ranked on Sunday. What do we think about Texas A&M and Mississippi State after that result in College Station and more of our week five thoughts next? The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast so texas a&m has now lost uh two in a row first to um arkansas last week and then they follow that up with a home loss to mississippi state and now the Aggies, uh, I mean, Bud, you mentioned it. Like, you're just going to have to score some points sometime. Like, this defense can only carry you but so far. Like, what? how does Texas A&M rebound? Is there any rebound? And if we're going to play the game with the SEC East, before we start to take the conversation elsewhere, I wanted to play that same game with the SEC West where – that given everything we saw today and are currently seeing unfold in Baton Rouge um, between Auburn and LSU, like how do you order that SEC West? Because Texas A&M went from being at the end of last season, the first team left out of the playoff coming into this season, top 10 team figured to be number one behind Alabama. They're going to be, on CBS on 8 p.m. You can watch it live on CBSSports.com for free or on the CBS Sports app. And they do not seem as intimidating of opponent uh, as they did three weeks ago, a month ago, at the beginning of the season. So what do you make of Mississippi State's win? Is it a one-off or is it indicative of something about both those teams? And how do we order the SEC West? They just don't score any points. <laughs> like, it, it's... It's like the offense is kind of beautiful in theory, but in practice, it's just they don't create enough explosive plays. Although they, I will say they actually had like one or two tonight uh, through the air, so that was good because normally they, they don't. Um, but like you, you got to find a way when you recruit at this level to score some more points, and they're just not scoring points, and they have lost their quarterback. I get it. Like there's a reason King won the starting job. Over Calzada. I think the reason is probably because he doesn't overthrow every deep ball. Uh, but who knows? I, I just, they'll still be okay, I guess, but the upcoming schedule is not particularly friendly. I mean, you have uh, no bye week yet. Then you get Alabama coming to college stations. So you're probably going to be um, three and three at some point this year. You do have to go to Missouri the week after Bama. At this point, I think they were going to beat Missouri because Missouri just has not shown any defense at all so far. Um, but then you get home, South Carolina. Okay, that's that's a game you should win. Auburn at Ole Miss at LSU, Prairie View. They could go seven and five. See, for me, this game was more about Mississippi State because this was like Mike Leach at his purest most in his bag that he could be because if you look at him statistically Mississippi State today had 438 yards of offense 30 yards rushing on 17 carries 408 yards passing on 59 attempts they averaged 8.9 yards per completion <laughs> it's 
<laughs> like I understand that it's called an air raid offense, but that is the most misleading name in the world when it comes to Mike Leach's offense because the ball spends very little time in the air. They're all very short passes, but it works. They found it today. They were able to move the ball down the field on this AM team enough. And like you said, but AM just can't score points. So you don't really have to put a ton of points up on them to beat them. So uh, it's just like I, I look at the SEC West and it's like we all said Mississippi State's the worst team in the division, but they're one and one right now. AM's 0 and 2. Ole Miss is 0 and 1. I still think Arkansas is the second best team in the division. Still? I don't know. Today shook I, me. nothing. I, I said before the- I said this before the game. I says I don't care what happens to Arkansas against Georgia. It's not gonna change my opinion of Arkansas. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm too shook in the moment. It's all right. I've, I've been known to make some some bad decisions when it comes to ranking teams. <laughs> yeah, where do you have Clemson after their big win over BC today? I haven't run the numbers, okay? I need He's to, got it back in the playoff picture. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to fire up the machine and, uh, and you know, put in all my data into uh, the calculator tomorrow to see where they land. They will not be in the top 25. Really? You're taking them all out completely after a win? Yeah. I love you. Good boy. <laughs> I mean, realistically, they were probably in, because I told you that I make the list of teams and then I put the numbers in. Mm-hmm. They were probably in a tie between like 14 and 40. And just, I kept being like, I don't know. Clemson's good. Clemson's good. You know, tie, break all the ties all the way up. So it's just, you know, my ballot, my rules. How about them? If you hey, hey, do you have a ballot? No. Okay. Well, well you do, but you I get do. it. Um, I think that uh, when we've got the entire landscape to to look at, we've got a lot of different places we want to go. I want to take it to uh, Thursday night, ask you when you think Miami might be hiring a new head coach. I want to take you to Friday night and see how impressed you were with Iowa. And I also want to take it to Saturday to at least introduce the idea here on this podcast that perhaps we just need to be a Kenny Pickett podcast that instead of backing it up with like, Oh, we're on a Georgia pod. Oh, we're like on this. I think we just need to be a Kenny Pickett podcast. And given his fine tastes with a name, image and likeness deal with the brasserie, I think that he's a perfect fit for our well-educated listenership and viewership for the finer things in life. So, um, Anywhere y'all want to go, but those are some things that are on my list before we get out of here. I want to start with Iowa. Okay. Because they killed Maryland on Friday night, forced a bunch of turnovers again, and then took those turnovers and scored points. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that so far, 46% of the points Iowa has scored this year have come off turnovers, which I'm not. it's not a knock on them. It's just the truth. That's what they've done. And I feel like we get misunderstood a lot in our critiques of Iowa in that we talk about turnover luck. There is something to what Iowa does to force interceptions. It's just you can't count on that week in and week out. And that's why Iowa, very good at forcing you to throw interceptions, also finishes 8-4 and four and 7-5 and five every season because offensively it's been limited. When its offense is good paired with that defense – they win 10 games. They win 11 games. They, you know, they win the division. If that offense steps forward with that defense playing the way it's been playing all season long, and that offense looked good on Friday night against Maryland. They had a lot of short fields, but they looked good. As far as success rate and all those advanced metrics, that was their best performance of the season. That team on Friday night can win 10, 11 games. But if it plays the way it did for the first three or four games where they weren't doing anything offensively if the defense didn't give them great field position, they're going to go 8-4. and four. I think Tom nailed it there, right? Um, We had some worries about Maryland. I think Maryland is legitimately an improved team. I think their offense is actually pretty good. It sucks that they lost Demas, obviously, or I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but but the the knee looks like it hyperextends. Not a doctor, but uh, I've watched enough. Um, What they do offensively, though, I don't think is a great fit for going up against Iowa. And we kind of said this on the show at the time. It's like, wait a second, all these screens and then shot plays off fake screens. I just don't know if Iowa's going to fall for that. I I know that that's why I bet the under and 
would they have six like six turnovers in the first half? I think it was five or six. Yeah, I mean it was. It was I lost count. I was on Maryland plus three and a half, and I was just in a daze. I mean that was just that was wild. Um, Maryland did look better. Like I don't feel great about Penn State going into Maryland right now with with how how well this defense is clicking and. You know, Spencer looked a little bit better. I think Goodson's a hell of a running back. So, like, I, I, I think yeah. he's the best running back they've had as far as just talent wise in a while. Yes. Yeah, like he'll be a pro. Yes, they've had a lot of dudes who are good and like volume guys that they could just hand the ball off to and they'll go get four or five yards and the offensive line gets it for them. Goodson's a guy who doesn't need the blocks to find yards. So you mentioned the Penn State game. I didn't have any complaints coming out of the win against Indiana. I think Penn State's in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, no, Penn State's looking perfectly wonderful. <laughs> I, I mean, Sean Clifford has taken. I, he's not elite. He's not an elite quarterback, but he has. Ta- he has improved far and away. He's like flat tonight. His overall numbers weren't great, but he's taking care of the football and he's not putting them in bad positions. And I think that is really the key difference between what he was doing with them last in the last few years compared to what he's done this season. He's just he's he's, he's being a better game manager than a liability. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. whether that comes back to haunt them when they have to play Ohio State or Michigan or they get to the Big 10 championship game, we have to wait and see, but for right now, it's doing it's plenty good enough. We are final in Baton Rouge, Auburn 24. LSU 19. You got Bo Nix. Did Bo Nix just get Coach O fired? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'll happen tomorrow. Yeah, not tomorrow, but... But yeah, I mean, like, this is the kind of loss that they definitely get you fired over there. I mean, Max Johnson... 8 p.m. local time, division rival. Not good. Not good, Bob. Arizona State's currently up nine on UCLA, by the way. Uh, Yeah. They are are running really, really well. A lot of time. Hey, listen, this is a Pac-12 game, and uh, on my score tracker right now, it says we got, what, 12 minutes left in a lot the third? Of crazy, a lot of crazy crap could still happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Buddy, we got time. Don't you, don't you worry. We will be exporting this and shooting it out to our instant listeners in Australia, and that game will still be going on uh, by the time we finish, uh, by the time we finish up here. Uh, 52 yards rushing for LSU. 52. 52 yards rushing. Not now, good. I'm sure there's some kind of team or that probably includes sacks or, or whatever. Um, Y'all man. see this question from Clayton? Coach O is a Cajun Gene Chiswick. Changed my mind. Gene I'm not going to argue that. I don't know. Oh, I, you I, argue that. I will. Gene Chiswick has not been through the wars that Coach O has seen. That's he has fair. seen some things. That G, like what Gene Chizik came from the, what, Iowa State-Texas line? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you didn't have to go hold that sword in front of the Trojan band in the Coliseum. <laughs> you didn't endure everything that was going on at USC in addition to Miami and your own previous tenure at Ole Miss. Though, I understand the comparison. And, uh, and somebody else, I believe, mentioned in the chat earlier that Auburn got less fired, so uh, keep that as note in terms of what this might mean to LSU decision makers in terms of hurting their feelings. Uh, Again, I want to take this all the way back to Thursday night with Miami, who got outplayed, but yet still was on the... like They were in a position... You mentioned the postgame win expectancy. I don't have the advanced box score pulled up, but if Miami had converted on that field goal at the end of the game... It would have been one of the luckiest wins probably we would have had in all of week five. Uh, I guess, you know, football karma or whatever you want to say, the doink comes up. And now I want to ask both in terms of planning my Sunday and my Monday and also just to see where y'all are at. Like, Is Manny Diaz going to get fired soon? Uh, the postgame win expectancy, just since you brought it up, was 67% for Miami. I don't know about Manny Diaz because – I could be way off, Chip. We were texting about this on Thursday night a little bit. Like, I feel like there was a youth movement with Miami on Thursday. Oh, yes. that he he's already, like, punted a little bit on this. And season. there's just a part of me that wonders, 
Is Manny Diaz making this youth movement if he feels like his job is truly on the line at this point? Or has Manny Diaz received some kind of assurance from the people in charge that they're not going to fire him this year and he knows that, well, then I better have everything ready for 2022 or else I will get canned if we don't win next year. So I, I don't... I'm, this is all speculation on my part. It was just kind of like that was the one thing that stood out to me. And I know Derek King was banged up, but it was, you know, Van Dyke at QB, the what's his name, the running back. I can't remember. We started getting snaps. I Jalen just, Knighton. Yeah. They were suspended for the first four games. Yeah. There's just a lot more freshmen were getting snaps that I remember seeing in previous games from the Hurricanes this year. They they they, uh, they played Leonard Taylor a lot more at defensive tackle. They, they played James Williams a lot more at safety. Although I think long-term he's a linebacker. Um, they like the Garcia kid they signed quite a bit. He was the the quarterback. He you know, he was unavailable for the game, so they had to play uh, Van Dyke. Uh, man, you, Virginia's offense is fun though. I I to, to answer your, your question, yes. like I do not think that uh, that Manny will get fired this year. I, I don't. I, I I don't know what the buyout number is, but I, I'm I'm guessing it, it's it's expensive. Uh, so I, I I don't think he's going to get canned. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So what else is on the uh, the notepad before we get out of here from uh, from week five? Uh, some sh- some quick shout outs just for teams. That we're not we don't really talk about a ton, but East Carolina just spanked oh, Tulane today. Tulane. Ball State took Army down. Temple taking down Memphis. Tried to warn you Memphis wasn't that good. Uh, who else we got here? Ridiculous bad beat on the under in that game, by the way. Yes. Like, yes. All they need to do is just take a knee and they score two touchdowns in like the final 70 seconds mm-hmm. to go over. <laughs> Shout out to Nevada going on the road and ending Boise State's home win streak against Mountain West opponents. Shout out to Oregon State for taking down Washington. Uh, Wazoo got a win over Cal. Where else? Navy, we mentioned earlier, beat UCF. Baylor failed to win a game with, with uh, under 300 yards of offense, which seemed like they would do every single time. Um, we were supposed to talk more Baylor. Remember, Tom? Yes. And, and Chip, like, remember, we, we weren't giving the proper respect to Baylor. Well, let's 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 give some introspection on Baylor here. Jerry Bohannon, 13 of 27 for a buck 73, three sacks, no tutties, no picks. Not great. Um, now, Spencer Sanders, 13 of 23 for 182, one long touchdown. Not a very good play by the Baylor secondary. They had it double covered, and they let the guy go go and moss them in the end zone right before the half, and that was kind of the deciding score in the game. There, Sanders did add a ninety-seven on or seventy-nine on the ground, but Oklahoma State outgains Baylor uh, for one hundred thirty-two to two eighty. And is Oak State undefeated still? Yes. Yeah. Gun yeah. is back. Like Oaks. They're, that's a team that could be in the Big Twelve Championship. The way things are going, <laughs> they're not actually good, but like they're, they're not bad either. They're just kind yeah. of there, <laughs> right? Wake Forest and Oklahoma State meet on a neutral field. What do you do? Oh, I watch. I think I take Wake Forest because I trust the quarterback a lot more. Yeah, but I trust Oak State's defense for it. I was gonna say. Uh, the the bars the across the board I think the bar is lowered and I think that's okay like there are some seasons where at the end of the year everybody in the college football playoff has one loss we have had that in the seven year uh, lifetime of the college football playoff there are some years where you got like two undefeated teams and a couple one loss teams and you look at the rest of the top ten there's a bunch of one loss teams and I don't know where we will be at the end of the year but if we're going to talk about the the general standard of the general bar, it feels like the bar to make the college football playoff feels lower. And it seems like for sure the bar for a top 25 team is lower because Mm -hmm. we have all of these imperfect teams, uh, teams that have losses that we still are holding on to the things they're good at teams that have zero losses that we can't really define what they're awesome at, except, you know, nitpicking a couple things here and there. And, uh, and I think that makes it interesting. I like yeah, it. I do too. Uh, Michigan. Inter- oh, dude, I talked about this. I said this before the show. Michigan this year is just what Wisconsin used to be. So to see Michigan beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall just felt kind of fitting because they looked like Wisconsin has looked. They just they couldn't really run the ball today, but defensively they were all over the place, and they just kind of out physical you. And I feel like this. 
I think that when the like Wisconsin's defense is going to do that to everybody, like not many teams can run on Wisconsin. So I'm not super concerned about their performance in the run game today going forward. Like I think they'll be able to run on Penn State. I think they'll be able to run on Ohio State. But I think Blake Corum, kind of like we're talking about with Goodson with Iowa, I, I, he's a smaller guy and he's got speed, but he also plays big. Like he's a physical back. He's not afraid of contact and he can break tackles. I really enjoy watching him play. J.J. McCarthy came in and threw a beautiful touchdown pass, like a 56-yarder down the sideline, just perfectly placed, let the receiver run right under it, just like, oh, so that's why he was five stars. So I was impressed with Michigan today. Uh, the Texas TCU game I thought was one of the more entertaining games of the day, but it was kind of lost in the shuffle of a bunch of like top 10 games being played at the same time. Uh, shout out to Vandy Barton getting that big win over UConn. And uh, Nebraska beat the hell out of Northwestern. Nebraska's good. Don't tell anybody. They are. And it's like I was talking to a guy about this on Twitter. I, like Nebraska's gonna carry the stink of that Illinois loss on it all season long. But like they're actually pretty okay. They're not great, but as far as the Big Ten West is concerned, they could be the second best team in the Big Ten West. I want to go back to Texas TCU r- r- real quick. I sure. I actually thought that TCU was just about as good of a team in this game. And credit to Texas for pulling it out, but they had a lot of short fields. In this one, um, they had what the sort of fumbled punt. I know that that like, oh, and they didn't even turn them all into touchdowns. They had short fields and just ended up settling for field goals. Just constantly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some stuff here that I think you have to be a a little bit concerned with if if you're Texas. Obviously, Zach Evans, 113 on 15 carries. He's really good. I mean, Bijan Robinson is a beast, but um, you know, Max Duggan, 20 of 28. Now it's only for 182, so. Okay, uh, but it's Mike Leach QB right there. That is, <laughs> yeah. That the, the scoring in in this first half was was absolutely insane. I I usually just in my head, um, I look at like total yards and I just divide by fifteen to figure out kind of like how many points roughly should be scored in the game, and because that's just kind of like you know how many yards per point, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yards per point. I think they were supposed to have like twenty one. And they were at like 45. It's like, okay, this is great. Mm. Okay, this is, yeah. Wait, will guess. you break down that 15? I know this is like, it's whatever. It's late in the podcast. No, no, no. It's yeah. just like, if you're like, if you're betting like an over or under, right? Or if you're like, want to like, like line something in a live bet, maybe you want like, you're at a bar, you want a live bet from your phone. Wouldn't recommend it, but okay. Um, basically, just take a look at total yards in the game and divide by 15. And that's kind of roughly how many points should be scored if you don't have crazy field position stuff mm-hmm. or like, you know, to, to obviously that's, that's like to the high side, crazy field position could make it to where like the score is much higher. Or if you don't have like insanely bad red zone execution, if everybody's settling for field goals and whatnot, it's going to be lower, but that's just something I kind of look at it to keep track. Like how, how far out of whack is this game right now? And that, that game was like three scores out of whack in the first half. And it still went under. <laughs> thanks to all those field goals yes and and, uh, yeah I, I was on the under so again that that kind of felt like that uh the uh what game was it the other week oak state and uh boise, boise. State. yeah yes scoreless second half dancing to an under <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd written because that was at 14 to 13 after the first quarter and i was like well there goes that ticket but nope still one yeah. that also byu utah state horrendous beat if you bet the over uh both quarterbacks get hurt in the third quarter and like they don't score. Like, okay. And like BYU is already down to like what it's third string to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So Jaron Hall uh, was out, didn't play. Uh, is it Gunnar Romney or Baylor Romney? Who, who's the QB? Ba- who's the Baylor is the QB. Gunner is the receiver. Mitt is the Senator. So the QB uh, gets whacked pretty good. His head hits the turf and he doesn't come back at all. The third stringer is named Conover. He is not good. Uh, so if he, if he plays this week, be, be mindful of that. Not, not a good player. Um, and the, uh, um, the backup for Utah state was not, not great. Not, not unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, Who we did see in not an injury situation, just a, holy crap, we got to figure out some spark to the offense situation the week before against, uh, Boise state. Uh, listen, we cannot hit 
everything here in this time with you. We appreciate all of you who joined us live. Uh, remember that we will be back on Monday with another live show. Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. It's called a pun further review because we need to still review everything that's left to happen Saturday and, of course, the games we weren't able to get our eyes on. But we have enjoyed uh, sharing our instant reaction. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.